Our scripture reading today is um, continuing through 1 Timothy. Uh, the scripture reading for today is 1 Timothy chapter 4. It'll be the first 10 verses of chapter 4. So turn there with me if you would and follow along. Again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Thanks, Cody, for reading from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, gentlemen, I think I'm just going to use this, if that's all right. I've got too much going on here to worry about one additional thing. So, as we, re- as we read, or as Cody read through verses 6 through 10, were there any words that you saw repeated that stuck out to you? Well, there are some words that are repeated, and they stuck out to me as I read it, and, and one of those words is the word train. What, what comes into your mind when you think of the word train or training? Some of you think of work training, you just all of a sudden just start getting your, your eyelids get heavy, and you just kind of think. But then and also sometimes you think of uh, a, somebody training to run a marathon. They, they are... Um, dedicated with their, their diet and their, their exercise and their rest, all those things to get ready for that event. Um, I'm a little different, and when I, heard, when I, when I read Train, and I think I think, when I think of training, I thought of a, a documentary I saw some years ago about a, an athlete who was training uh, to be elite at his sport. Um, he pushed his body to the absolute limit, and when the time came to compete, this athlete took um, really the world by storm. During the early part of this century, so the early part of uh, the 2001, um, this athlete won his sports Super Bowl six consecutive years uh, and revolutionized his sport. This athlete, as only great athletes are known, is known by just one name. No, not LeBron, not Tiger or Brett, this athlete's name is Kobayashi. 
Now, if you're not familiar with this athlete, then you obviously do not know anything about the world of professional competitive eating. Kobayashi is a small Japanese man who shocked the world on July 1st, 2001, when he ate 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes uh, at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on Coney Island. The previous record was 25 and an eighth hot dog. Yes, they measure them by eighth of a hot dog. At a speed eating contest in Hong Kong on August 13, 2005, Kobayashi consumed 83 vegetarian dumplings in eight minutes. The next day he ate, the next day, he ate 100 roasted pork buns in 12 minutes. Kobayashi also won the 2005, this is aptly named, Alka-Seltzer U.S. Open of Competitive Eating, which is a three-hour International Federation of Competitive Eating, yes, the IFOCE, elimination tournament that, which was held on ESPN. He also won the Glutton Bowl, which is a two-hour IFOCE eating special uh, that aired on the Fox network. The only really um, big defeat that he took during this time was in 2003 when he was on a show called Man vs. Beast, when Kobayashi lost in an eating competition against a 1,089-pound Kodiak bear, when he only ate 31 bunless hot dogs to the bear's 50 uh, in 2 minutes and 36 seconds. Now, I could go on and on and on talking about Kobayashi's uh, his victories, his, his lows. Um, actually, that's about all the knowledge I have about Kobayashi, but um, that wouldn't really be a good use of our time. Um, now, he worked for years to perfect his craft. He trained himself to be an elite competitive eater. He ate endless calories to strengthen his jaw and drank gallons of water and milk in a very short amount of time to expand his stomach. He mastered his technique which is disgusting to watch, to eat huge amounts of food in a short amount of time. Now, when it was all said and done, he became mildly famous because when I said that name originally, there was not a whole lot of recognition in this group. Um, and he, he probably became somewhat wealthy. But what, all, what did all this training amount to? What did he accomplish after all that, that effort? Really, when it came down to it, he was a kind of a glorified novelty act whose eating accomplishments have been surpassed. Um, the hot dog eating contest is it's way beyond 50 hot dogs at this moment. So I guess you've got to kind of ask, well, what was his goal? What was his goal in life? And, and maybe it's, it's fun to point fingers at other people, but what is our goal in life? What is my goal in life? What is your goal in life? Um, many of us have career goals, we have financial goals, we have um, experiences that we want to one day cross off our bucket list. And in and, of them, in and of themselves, those are not bad things, but are they the most important? As we come to 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10 here, the Apostle Paul is, is making a personal appeal to his, his spiritual son, Timothy, to set his efforts on accomplishing the goal of being a good servant of Jesus Christ, the goal of being a profitable minister for the gospel. And to accomplish this goal, he must train. We must train. We must train with the word. We must be trained to identify and then flee things that will distract us. We need to train in godliness. And the reason why is because there is a hope in God that will sustain us to the end. So if we look at verse 6, 
It says, if you put these things before the brothers. Now, what are these things? Now, the exact meaning is debated. Some think that when he says these things, he is pointing back to the issues that Paul spoke to directly in, the, in verses 1 through 5, which we read earlier, which Corey read earlier, and which Lucas preached on last week. Others think that these things uh, refers in general to all the different topics that Paul talks about in this letter. Uh, there are four other places where the phrase these things appears in 1 Timothy. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14, uh, it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that, to you so that. And then in, in uh, the later chap- part of chapter 4, verse 15, it says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Uh, chapter 5, verse 7 says, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. And then in chapter 6, verse 2, he says, teach and urge these things. Now, I'm not entirely sure what exactly he was referring to when he said these things. Um, It could be many different topics in this letter, and if that's the case, then we know for sure he was at least pointing back to the things he talked about in verses 1 through 5, um, which was this false teaching that was popping up in this church that was uh, was really ravaging this church and causing a lot of um, people to walk away from the faith. And Paul is telling Timothy to put these things before the brothers. He must point out the false teaching. He needs to lay it all out to the church so that the false teaching can be refuted and then the church and Timothy can be trained by the truth. Now, if we keep going in verse 6, so if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So a good servant of Jesus Christ will be trained by the word. The person who is growing in godliness will have a regimented time in the word. And when I say the word, I mean the Bible. Elite athletes don't just train a couple of days a week to excel in their sport. Uh, every aspect of their life is dedicated to that endeavor. Likewise, a person will not become a good student of the Bible by only consuming the Word on Sunday mornings and maybe Wednesday nights. We need to be in the Word daily so our minds are constantly reminded and are constantly thinking about what is in Scripture. Now this, this kind of sounds like work, doesn't it? This will take that dreaded word, discipline. Now, when I say the word discipline, uh, kids, what do you think of? Spanking. Trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm getting the consequence. I'm getting disciplined. Adults, what do you think of when you think of, hear the word discipline? <laughs> okay. Um, I think of having to get out of the bed in the morning at the time I should get out of bed in the morning, even though I don't want to get out of the bed in the morning. It also means not binge-watching whatever TV show I'm watching on Netflix. Um, Discipline doesn't sound like fun, but very few things of value are are achieved through ease. Most things of importance are only achieved by sustained hard work. Discipline is structured training toward a goal. Jay Adams writes, You may have sought and tried to obtain instant godliness. There is no such thing. We want someone to give us three easy steps to godliness and we'll take them next Friday and be godly. The trouble is, godliness doesn't come that way. 
Discipline that leads to godliness starts with the word of God. He continues, it is by willing, prayerful, and persistent obedience to the requirements of scripture that godly patterns are developed and come to be part of us. So it's this, it is just, it's, it's a, a, a continual action where more and more we become what we read in scripture. Jerry Bridges then points out that we are not alone in this effort. This is not us uh, just having a lot of resolve by ourselves and, and get to it. He says the Holy Spirit has already done a good part of his work by providing us with the scriptures to discipline us. And as we learn them, we, he will faithfully bring them to our minds as we need them to face temptations. As we seek to apply his word to daily situations, he will work in us to strengthen us. But we must respond to what the Holy Spirit has already done if we are to expect him to do more. So we see that we, are, we must discipline our lives for a regular, healthy diet of the word of God. We need to plan time each day for reading or studying the Bible. Every Christian who makes progress in holiness is a person who has disciplined his life so that he spends regular time in the Bible. There is simply no other way. So how are you doing with this discipline of regularly spending time in God's word? Now, if you struggle, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone in that you struggle, and you're also not alone in the struggle, meaning that there are many who struggle to spend daily, daily time in God's word. Um, we are we're so fickle. Our minds are so easily drawn away by uh, other things of life that we, um, if, if it's not a priority, sometimes it does not take place. Um, but like I said, we're not alone in this struggle. God is patient, and he will draw us to hear, uh, to, be, to be near to him and his word. So we need to cry out to God and to help us grow in a disciplined time in the word. Now, it is, it is natural, um, in, well, in a couple months here, at the beginning of the new year, 2023, um, it's a natural time for us to kind of do a, a push for Bible reading plans. Um, as we start fresh a new year, it's great to start a new Bible reading plan. But you know what? You don't have to wait. You can start today. There are a, a plethora of different ways that you can go about spending daily, regular time in God's Word. There, if you use a Bible app, there's probably about a thousand different reading plans that can either be something that leads you through the whole Bible, leads you through a book of the Bible, or maybe just over the next few weeks leads you on a topic of Bible verses that deal with thankfulness or something like that. There is, um, there is, there are so many different ways for us in our day and age to consume the Word of God. That if we don't do it, it is, it is because we just don't do it. If you're not a good reader, you can listen to it. Um, and, and and sometimes people say, well, I don't really want to do a Bible reading plan because I feel like I'm just checking off the boxes. And, I, and I, I struggle with, because I want to read God's word, and I, um, I really want to get something out of it each and every day, and if I just check the boxes, I feel like I'm just, that's my motivation. Well, um, that, that may be so. The important part, you're, you're actually spending time in God's word, and he will make it alive to you. And also, if you struggle with your motivation, there is, um, God has promised that in his word, he will, he will do some amazing things as we consume his word. Psalm 19, 7. Um, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So when we consume God's word, our soul is revived. Psalm 119, 105. And I'm just going to kind of scoot through these quickly. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So his word will lead us. Uh, Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and he, hearing through the word of God. So it is, reading the word is a necessary part of us hearing and learning about all that God has done. And then 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it is necessary to be trained in the word. And, and when we are trained in the word, then we, we know good doctrine, uh, and we know then how to flee from the doctrine that will distract, the, the things that are in error. Um, and that's what he talks about um, here in verse 7, back in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, have nothing to do with the irreverent, irreverent silly myths. Now, what are these irreverent, irreverent silly myths? Um, now, this is not a new theme in this letter. Uh, back in chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So in Ephesus, there was, there was obvious from, from that passage and also from First uh, Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, there are those who are pushing doctrines that are false. These do false doctrines were leading people away from the truth by adding extra obligations to the gospel. And it seems that there were some who were adding different interpretations of scripture because of their lack of understanding and discernment. Now these myths were distracting people from the heart of the gospel. So in ESV here, the English Standard Version that most of us use, we, we see the words irreverent, silly myths. Other translations use the word profane, silly stories, old wives' tales, and Eugene Peterson in the message says, silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Now, this could be referring back to verses 1 through 5 where, where some had added obligations of forbidding marriage and abstaining from foods, uh, but it also could be expand, expounding more on um, this from 1 Timothy chapter 1, where it talks about these myths and endless genealogies from chapter 1. Now, um, we don't know exactly what he's referring to, but we know it's things that uh, it is people interpreting Scripture incorrectly. Um, using the, um, some people don't like the, the term old wives' tales, um, partly because it's, it seems like it's making fun of somebody, but the, the reality is that in, in Paul's day and age, women were less educated, and there was a propensity for old women to sit around tables making up different stories, and, and, and there was the, the danger of that happening when they approached the scriptures. Um, but a, an outworking of an individual having a disciplined life uh, and a different disciplined time in God's word is that individual will also be trained to flee from things that distract from the true gospel. You, you, you read so much truth that it is evident then when you hear something that is not true, 
and you can then refute it. It's like when a, a bank teller is trained to spot counterfeit money. They're given first the opportunity to handle a lot of real money. Um, and they get the feeling for what the real thing is so that when a counterfeit bill comes through their hands, they realize that something is not quite right. And then they then invest, investigate it further. A true student of God's word will spend so much time learning truth that they will have much discernment when they hear something that is untrue. Um, Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14, is a, is a pretty fascinating passage. Um, the writer says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need, something, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the, work, in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from, e good from evil. So the writer of Hebrews here really doesn't pull any punches, does he? Um, when he talks about those who are not maturing in their faith. The mature Christian will be trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil and will be able to discern what is right. And we need to have spiritual, situational awareness to realize when we are in danger of veering off into falsehood. And that, that only comes by being a student of God's word. Um, let's keep going in, in verse 8 if we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me read verse 7 again. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily instruction is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So the next area that we're supposed to train in as we seek to be a good servant of, of the gospel of Christ is that we must train in godliness. Um, once again, I'd like to read from Jerry Bridges. Uh, he wrote a book called The Practice of Godliness. He writes, and these, I've got a couple of quotes here that are lengthy. But Timothy was personally responsible for his progress in godliness. He was not to trust the Lord for that progress and then relax, though he certainly understood that any progress he made was only through divine enablement. He would have understood that he was, he was to work out this particular aspect of his salvation in confidence that God was at, was at work in. But he would get Paul's message that he, was, that he must work at this matter of godliness. He must pursue it. We Christians may be very disciplined and industrious in our business, our studies, our home, or even our ministry, but we tend to be lazy when it comes to exercise in our own spiritual lives. We would much rather pray, Lord, make me godly, and expect him to pour some godliness into our souls in some mysterious way. God does, in fact, work in a mysterious way to make us godly, but he does not do this apart from the fulfillment of our own personal responsibility. responsibility. Also, a, a guy, uh, Don Whitney, wrote, and he uh, has done a lot of work in, in spiritual disciplines. He writes, As we engage in the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, the Holy Spirit molds us more into the character of the Master. Probably the most common reason for the lack of spiritual growth among Christians is, is inconsistently, in, inconsistency with the spiritual disciplines. We don't grow in grace if we fail to use the God-given means for growing in grace. It's a simple fact. Those who grow the most are the fastest, 
those who grow the most and fastest are those who place themselves in the channels of grace, such as the intake of God's word, prayer, worship, service, evangelism, evangelism, silence, solitude, journaling, learning, fasting, and so on. I think these, these two lengthy quotes are so good because they both clearly state that the imperative is God working in a Christian, but there is also no denying the, the need for the individual to do the things necessary to grow. Um, Paul illustrates this in another, another place uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 10. He says, But the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that but the grace of God that is with me. Here we see the grace of God in Paul's life to bring him from a persecutor to a worshiper. It's all the work of God, but we also see Paul's effort to grow into the servant that he is. Um, turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. His divine power was granted to all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be, there will be richly provided for you in an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I really appreciate one of the notes that's in the ESV study Bible. It says, Peter lists qualities that characterize a life partaking of the divine nature. This list, this list does not reflect a legalistic code, but rather the desires and features of a transformed heart. So when you, when you look at that list, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, what sticks out to you? Do you see any areas that you are growing greatly in? Or do you see any areas that you are especially weak and need to seek God, God's help as you labor in that area? There is, there is unfortunately one that when I look at it, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Um, I need help from the kids. What is my new favorite song to sing on Wednesday nights at Kids Club? And sometimes at home. Self-control. Uh, it's a song called Give Me Self-Control. Now, um, 
they probably think that I'm wanting that, that sung or played because they need self-control. The, the, the dirty little secret is I need it probably more than they do. Um, the, the words of this song are, uh, they're, they're simple, they are, uh, but they are powerful. The, it says, the wor- your word tells me I have a need to watch out for my soul. And every day it's clear to me, I need your self-control. My hands and feet are quick to move before I even know. So Jesus, make me more like you and give me self-control. That's the kid, that's the kid verse. Now this one's for me. When I say words I shouldn't speak and hurt the ones I know, on mornings when I'd rather sleep, I need your self-control. When I'm told to sit for hours and time goes by so slow, I need the Holy Spirit's power to give me self-control. And the chorus says, Lord, I'm ready, so I'm pleading. Come and fill me. Help me to be self-controlled. Help me to be self-controlled. That is an area in my life where I've said, I need to grow in that area. There are times when, um, you know, kids are very obvious when they lose their control, right? They, they move around, they make lots of weird noises, and they act obnoxious. Uh, us adults are way easy, we're way better at hiding those things, right? But what's going on in here and what's going on here is, is very much the same. Um, spend some time in that passage this week. In, in Second Peter chapter one, and just look at those things. Look, look at those qualities, and say, "Am I am I growing in these things?" Um, and if you if you say, "I I need help in that area," um, pray to God, ask for the spirits to help to give yourself, um, you know, do an honest self assessment to see where you are growing and where much growth is needed. Now, the big question is why we should train for godliness. Is it just for self improvement? Absolutely not. Um, back in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, For while bodily, instruction, or while bodily training is, is of some value, godliness is of a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So let's tackle this, this first phrase. Bodily training is of some value. Now, a commentator named Matthew Poole from many years ago said that bodily discipline, which could be abstaining from certain meats, keeping set fast, watchings, lying upon the ground, going barefoot, wearing sackcloth or haircloth, abstaining from wine or marriage, is of little advantage. The, body, the, the mind and soul of man is not bettered by them. The apostle, but the apostle does not altogether despise these things, some of which may be useful, moderately to help us more fit for prayer especially on upon solemn occasions but these are not things wherein religion is to be put and alone they are of no avail so when the 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 text says uh, of some value or of little value um, that greek word literally means puny in extent degree number duration or value so while there is little value in physical discipline it seems that it is a very very small in comparison to the value of godliness so uh, it's like comparing the titanic which seems massive to us to the modern day cruise ships which just would dwarf dwarf them um, the 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 value in in physical discipline is minor compared to the overall massive value of godliness um, that's, that's true of 
of asceticism, which is talked about here, which is kind of denying yourself different things um, in an expression of trying to be more godly. But it also can be true of, of physical exercise. Now, it does have some value in this life as it helps a person stay uh, more healthy and more active, but this value has an end point, doesn't it? It ends when you die. Um, a marathon runner, that, that, that training is of value while they live, but um, once they have died, that value has ceased. But spiritual exercise, godliness, holds value now and forever in this life and the life to come. Now, one commentator writes that this is how godliness brings great value in life now. It brings the highest present happiness. The one who express, exercises himself in godliness enjoys communion with God and goes from strength to strength. He learns to know his God, and this knowledge brings to him the divine power which has granted him all things that pertain to life and godliness. His life becomes filled with, G, with Christ, and Christ is then magnified in his bodies. And the, the communion, with, communion with God that a Christian will have in this life then lasts perfectly for all of eternity. Now, our brains are not, are not wired for eternity, right? We live in time. Uh, we live in the next day, the next week, the next year. But when a person grows in godliness, their mind will not just think about the here and now, but will also think of the life that will be theirs forever with God. Now, um, I, I, I guess I'm still a relatively young man. That's changing each and every day. But um, as I've sat down and talked to older, mature individuals, what, what often kind of just seeps out of them is that they, they're not thinking about the next day, the week, the next year. They're thinking about their future life. And that's something that I think a person that is growing in godliness will think more and more about, where they, they are not so uh, consumed with what happens during this time, but they think about what their life will be like. When I'm still thinking about retirement, maybe, I'm, uh, kids growing, maybe getting out of the house. Those are the things that consume my, my thinking all too much, and I don't think about what is to come that is truly important, that will last forever. And now in verse 9, Paul tells Timothy that all his training, all his work, all this struggle, it is worth it. He must hope in God as he strives to the end. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. For, this, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, I just have a few observations as we get close to wrapping up here. The maturing Christian will experience great satisfaction and encouragement as they grow closer to God. But at the same time, it's, it's in here, they will experience toil and strife. There will be hard times because we live in a fallen world that is full of evil. But we can take comfort from a guy, the Apostle Paul, that knew a little bit about challenges, doesn't he? Um... He was falsely accused, he was flogged, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, and I know I'm missing some stuff. But when Paul says, we will have toil and there will be strife, he intimately knows what he is talking about. But he is not so much dwelling there, he is instead trying to say, through those things, we have a hope. Now, biblical hope is not a, a wish and a prayer. 
It's not a Hail Mary. Biblical hope is a certainty of what is to come. Biblical hope is based on a God who is always faithful and who always keeps his promises. Also, God is a living God. He is the living God. And that's pointed out here in verse, in verse 9. We have our hope set on the living God. We do not wish, worship a dead deity. God is not dead. Jesus, our Savior, died on the cross to pay the, de- the penalty of our sin, which we remembered this morning during communion. In so doing, his sacrifice has brought those who have been saved back into a relationship with God. So it is a Christian's privilege, then, to be trained by God's word and trained for godliness. Then, Jesus rose again. He is alive. He is, he is living and active as King Jesus. And because he conquered sin and death, we, as his children, can be and should be assured that we will one day live with him for eternity. Also, it says, he is the Savior of all people. Now, this verse is not teaching a universalist view of salvation. Uh, as Daryl taught back in, in chapter 2, verse 4, which says, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, um, that is ref- better understood all kinds of people, uh, even kings and those who are in high positions. In his commentary on this passage, John Calvin wrote, the apostles' meaning here is simply that no nation of the earth and no rank of society is ex- excluded from salvation since God wills to offer the gospel to all without exemption. So as we, as we come to the end of this passage here that we're going to be covering today, um, what's your goal? What's your goal in life? If you are a Christian, you should desire to be a good minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, we are, if you are a Christian, you are a minister. It might not be on your, on your, uh, your business card or your email signature, but you are a minister of the gospel of Christ. And we must strive to be good servants of our Savior. If this is your goal, then there is much training that needs to be accomplished, isn't there? We need to be trained by God's word. We need to each and every day spend time in his word. We need to flee from the doctrines that distract. Uh, we, we can't get bogged down with, with things that do not um, we need to make the, the, the plain things the main things. We need to focus on the gospel and we need to um, know what is the truth so we can easily refute error. We must be trained in godliness and seek a disciplined life that brings us into close communion with God. And because we have our hope set on the living God, um, he is our savior and he is the savior of all. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is perfect and it knows ex- exactly what we need to hear this morning. Lord, you also know that I am I'm not perfect and I, I feel very inadequate to, to, to share your word with, with these people because of the areas that lack in my own life. And I just... I thank you for your grace, your mercy. I thank you that you, have, you are not done with, with me or any of the rest of the people in this room. And I just pray that um, as, they, as we all leave today, that we would just think about where we are on the path towards the goal that you have set for us. I pray that we would um, just seek to live a life that is uh, more godly, which means that we are seeking to live 
then act more like you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.